Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Time. And pray God's blessing on them. Next Sunday morning, the children's uh, choir and the early childhood department will be sharing in the morning service in our uh, music. So we want to be here, of course, for that and be a part of that. And then the week after, as you notice in your bulletin, the adult choir will be sharing their Christmas music with us uh, on Sunday morning, along with the uh, message we'll have from the Word of God as well. So we invite you to come. And join us for that. Let's pray as we open God's word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word this morning, uh, to consider it, and to meditate on it. And we pray that our hearts will be open to your word this day. In Christ's name, amen. Our theme this morning, Christmas uh, longing, Christmas expectations. Uh, You know, Christmas has a lot of uh, history for all of us, I'm sure, of longings and uh, things we're looking forward to. Uh, I, one of those Christmases I remember as a child, young person, uh, maybe like late elementary age, uh, and, I, and I shared this story some years ago, but I've been pastor long enough I can sh- retell the stories once in a while, because some of you were like three years old when I told this story, so you probably don't remember this story. Um, but uh, we went uh, shopping with my mom down to Sears. Um, Back then it was called Sears Surplus Store, or Bargain Basement. I mean, remember downtown on uh, First Avenue, the big Sears and Roebuck uh, store is still there, now the Starbucks headquarters. Down in the basement was their uh, basically their catalog return uh, building. And uh, back then that was sort of like, uh, that was sort of the Amazon of the 60s, you know, <laughs> Sears catalog. And, um, and so we would, my mom was very, uh, very good shopper, we're very thrifty. And uh, we were down there, my brother and myself and my mom, and we were looking around, and we spotted this uh, game down there, uh, professional hockey, professional hockey game. And uh, it was in the box. It was a Sears uh, the box there. And um, that's my brother and I, you know, getting all ready to play that the game there. We saw that sitting there in the corner, and we talked my mom into buying that for Christmas for us. And she said, okay, I'll buy it for you, but you can't open it till Christmas. This was about December 13th or something like that. Uh, these, these games were, you know, a lot of fun. You know, you pull the things, you turn them, and the guys whack the thing in the, the goal. How many of you ever played one of those games? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Right, cool. And um, so we uh, brought it home, and we put it in the corner of the house. I can still see it sitting there in the corner by the radiator. You know, we have the big stand, stand-up radiators and where the Christmas tree goes over in the corner of the house over here. And it sat there, and every day we got to look at that until Christmas. And our Christmas expectations, our Christmas longing. And sure enough, uh, we, we didn't peek into it. We didn't open it. We didn't touch it. It wasn't wrapped because we already knew what it was. You know, there was no point in wrapping it. But still, it wasn't until Christmas morning that we got to open it and play with it. I know you're probably going to say, and, and of course the story was that it was not quite what it was cracked up to be. No, it was great. It was one of the best presents we ever had. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that. I would still play with one if I had one today. It was a lot of fun. And it was a great present. It was Christmas present. It was Christmas longing fulfilled. How many of you ever picked out your own Christmas present? How many of you picked out this year's Christmas present? 
My goodness, good going. All right, all right. I, I, I helped pick out a couple too the other day. Um, wasn't intending to, but couldn't pass up on a record and a book. And so they're, they're uh, I'm not going to tell you what they are, though, because you think I'm not very spiritual. But anyway, <laughs> unless you like Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan. But anyway, <laughs> they're put away for Christmas. Christmas longing fulfilled. Christmas longing unrealized. Um, you ever had things that you longed for and hoped for and they just never were realized? Uh, a few years ago, three years ago to be exact, I lost my favorite Bible. And that uh, was my preaching Bible. And I liked it because of the way it's laid out and the, the print and so forth and the way it worked with, with my preaching. It was my favorite Bible. In fact, I bought my son one as well because back in Michigan, there's a bookstore back there that is the only... Uh, the sole uh, carrier of Cambridge Bibles in the United States out of England, Cambridge Bibles from England. And um, I love their Bibles, and this was my favorite Bible. And it was, they have a little, little blur in them somewhere. It hardly can don't even know what it is, but they're discounted. So I had this Bible, and I lost it. And I looked, I'm telling you, I looked all over this church for that Bible. I looked in Gary's office. I thought maybe Cameron might uh, help me. Maybe Caleb took it back to uh, Costa Rica with him or something, you know. Um, I looked everywhere. I looked in the Awana rooms thinking I must have given a devotional and left it laying there. I looked on the stage. I looked in the closet in the stage. I have looked everywhere in this church for my Bible, and I never found that Bible. Uh, Unrealized expectations, unrealized longings to look for something, to hope to get it, and to not get it. Today, as we come to uh, Christmas and our first Advent lesson, Advent obviously simply means to appear, to come, and this is called the Advent season because we celebrate the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to earth. In order to begin now, we're going to go back to Exodus because this year's theme, and Pastor Gary has put together the outline this year, he'll be sharing next Sunday, um, We've put together an outline of lessons that are uh, based on the Christmas, the Advent uh, season, and we are connecting it with Israel's experience uh, under Moses in in Egypt and then in the Promised Land and the expectations of God's salvation. The, the, The story of Exodus is Israel's Christmas story. It's Israel's Easter story. Um, It's the story of God's uh, redemption and salvation and provision for them. In Exodus chapter 2, we have the story of, in Exodus chapter 1, we have the story of Moses and his, uh, of the Israelites in Egypt and the oppression. We have the story of Moses' parents who hid him, of course, in the bulrushes and the reeds of the river. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him raised him in Pharaoh's court, and uh, he became part of Pharaoh's family, he rose to great uh, power and authority, uh, tried to uh, free the Israelites, and uh, in the process killed an Egyptian and realized that he was in big trouble and there may be a price on his head, and he fled from Pharaoh and fled to Midian. I think probably most of you know that story pretty well. Moses, you know, his life is uh, broken down into three 40-year Segments. Forty years in the house of, of, of Pharaoh in Egypt, 
He fled. He was 40 years in Midian as a shepherd uh, leading the Midianite flock with his father-in-law. And then 40 years when he comes back and takes the children of Israel to the promised land. 40, 80, 120. So after Moses was 40 years old and, uh, and, and fled to Egypt, we have this little transition in chapter 2 before we come to chapter 3 in that story of Moses and the burning bush, which is, is so familiar as well. There's a little transition here that I want you to look, look at. I'd like you to look at verse uh, 23 first. During that long period, uh, now I have up on the board behind me the ESV translation. I'm reading from the NIV. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out because of their slavery. And their cry went to God. And then verse, the second part here. It says, and let's read it from the board because this is the ESV. And what I want you to notice, I have underlined five times, this is pointed out in the uh, Jewish publication uh, commentary on Exodus, that in the previous verse and in this verse, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Five times the emphasis in that verse in the Hebrew is God. And here we have this, thanks, Brian. Here we have this, this um, account of, of Israel and Egypt. And the significant thing about this is when it says that during that long period, you notice it says in verse 23, during that long period, that is when Moses left, during that 40-year period, Another king or pharaoh came to power. And it says Israel groaned in their slavery and they cried out. Why particularly during this time were they groaning and crying out? And that's because we know from history that in Egypt, whenever a new pharaoh took office, okay, whenever a new pharaoh uh, became the king of the land, there was generally granted a period of uh, we might, like in the Old Testament, the Jubilee, where things were forgiven, where people were restored. Slaves could be set free. It was just sort of understood with a, with a new king and a new administration that they would have a new beginning. And there was, many of the commentators pointed out, there was probably an expectation among the Israelites that with a new pharaoh, a new king, there would now be a, a, a new freedom. He would start fresh and let these people Go, let them, let them be free, let them live their lives as they used to live. When Joseph, who was the, uh, who was the one that, 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 that brought them into this prosperity when he brought his family down to, to Egypt, that they would go back to that. But instead, we know the story that ha- what happened is the king made their life harder. And so instead of, instead of receiving some type of uh, freedom and release, it got harder for them. And it's probably because of this that they cried out and they groaned. I notice it says here they groaned in their slavery. They cried to God. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Now in the Old Testament we have these, and the New Testament too, we have these statements about God that we can relate to as humans. And at the same time we understand if God knows everything it wasn't like he forgot about them, like some of the gods of mythology and stuff, and all of a sudden he remembered. 
but it's to help us understand. It's to help us appreciate that, that our God has persona. He's a person. He, I mean, not, not a human, but he has personhood. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all persons of the Trinity. They have persona. And we are made in their image. We are made in the image of God. And we get this picture of the people crying out to God and God responding to them. And we, like we mentioned five times in that verse, that the second part, that God responded. God heard. God did something. And in fact, as it, as it ends, and the NIV says, so God looked down the Israelites and was concerned about them. The Hebrew simply says, he looked at them and he knew. He knew. That's it. That's all it says. And God knew. And that's because in the Hebrew, the word yada, the word know, indicates more than simply cognitive awareness. The word know in the Hebrew that's used here indicates a relationship. That's why in the Old Testament it says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It's, it's, it's not just a delicate way of talking about a sexual relationship. It's the fact that there's a relationship involved. That's what the Hebrew word means. It's, it's an understanding. It's a relationship. God knew. These were his people. He knew. He knew what was going on. He knew their need. He knew what they wanted. And he knew what he was going to do. And it simply says, God looked down and he knew. He knew their longing for salvation. He knew their desire for freedom. He knew their desire for, for him to do something. You know, it had been a long time. You know, it, it goes back to in, in Genesis chapter 15. This, this story really begins in Genesis 15 where Abram, before his name was even changed to Abraham, in Genesis 15 where Abram has this experience with God where he's called by God and given these promises by God. And as he, as he comes to bring this sacrifice, God says to him in verse 13 of chapter 15, the Lord said to him, and then during this very kind of a frightening time, it's a, it's a dark darkness in this in this dream this vision he's having as he brings a sacrifice and god says know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years but i will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions so God prophesies, your people are going to go into a land and for 400 years they are going to be slaves in this land and they're going to be, they're going to be persecuted. But I will bring them out. I will bring them out. And, you know, you think about this. 400 years is a long time. 400 years. Moses wrote the books of Moses. That means for that 400 years that, that, is, that the Israelites were enslaved after Joseph and before and during his time when, when Moses comes on the scene, that, that 400-year period that preceded that, they didn't have the books of Moses. He hadn't written them yet. They had the oral traditions that were passed down from generation to generation. They had the stories about God. They didn't have a priesthood. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the tabernacle. They had the promises of God. That's all they had. They had the promises of God, and they had the traditions that were passed down generation to generation, and probably in many cases maybe not passed down so well. 400 years. 400 years they waited 
for God to do something that he had promised to do for them. 400 years. Longing for God's redemption. Meanwhile, God is at work. God had not forgotten. God knew. And when they cried out to God, it was exactly the time that God was preparing. And while they are crying out to God for him to do something, the song that Gary sang this morning that echoes that, that thought, you know, God, what, what are you doing? What, can you imagine what they thought? Meanwhile, God is preparing Moses for 40 years to go back as an 80-year-old man when it's the last thing in the world he wanted to do. You, you know the story. He finally said to God, after God gave him several reasons to go, finally Moses said to God, God, I'm not going. Send somebody else. And you remember what God said? Moses, you're going. <laughs> okay? And Moses went at 80 years old. God remembered. God was at work. 400 years of longing and bondage. We come to the story of Christmas. And you know, it's interesting that we have another 400 year period of longing and expectation. We've been reading from Genesis and Exodus. If we go to the end of the Old Testament, go in your Bibles to the very end of the Old Testament, and you'll come to two of what we call the minor prophets, Zechariah and Malachi. These two minor prophets that take place historically during the time of, of Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, the end of the Old Testament, the minor prophets are not called minor prophets because they're unimportant. This is simply that they're smaller works than you than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, for example. And we come to the very end of the Old Testament. This is the end of the story of the Old Testament. We've, we've traversed the whole story of the Old Testament. Israel has gone into captivity. They have lost the land. First, the Assyrians came down and wiped out the ten northern tribes and, dis, and, and dispersed them throughout the world, the Mediterranean world, hence the ten lost tribes, supposedly. Then the Babylonians came down. And conquered Jerusalem, uh, tortured the king, uh, desecrated the temple, destroyed the city, and took the vast majority of the people as, as uh, slaves, as servants, to Babylon. A group comes back under Zerubbabel with Ezra and Nehemiah, and they come back and rebuild the city and they rebuild the temple, but it's a shadow of what it used to be. And we come to the end of the old story, and Israel is a people subjected to the Babylonians. They are not a free people. They are, some are in their land. Most are still in Babylon. The others are spread throughout the Mediterranean world. They are a subjected people. And we come to the end of the Old Testament, and these two prophets echo what, is, what the other prophets have been saying all along. As we come to the end of the story, for example, just a couple of, of examples. Look at Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, I, I've, I've read this. I haven't actually done the research myself, so I'm a little hesitant. But per capita, if you know what I mean, for the amount of, amount of words in Zechariah, 
there are more prophetic statements from Zechariah repeated in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. We'll do a little work on that and see if we can verify that. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, that day, that coming day of the Lord, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land. They will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. And he goes on to, to, to talk about what's going to happen on that day. There is a coming day when God is going to deliver his people. Chapter 14. On that day, you'll see also verse 8. Well, look at verse 6. On that day, on that day, there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea, the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth, not just Israel. The kingdom is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just an Israel thing. It's for the entire world. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. This written to a people who lived in a, in a world and a culture where there were thousands of lords. Everybody had their own God. Everybody had their own deities. But on that day, there will be one Lord. Verse 16 of chapter 14. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem, they will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah, on that day, there is a day coming where God is going to save His people. God is going to restore His people, and the whole world is going to know it. And the whole world is going to have to come and acknowledge and worship the one true God. There will be only one God on that coming day. And then Malachi. Go to the book of Malachi, the very last of your Old Testament books, before we go to Matthew. In chapter 3, the prophet Malachi See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Suddenly the Lord is going to do something on a special day, says the Lord Almighty. And you read through these last couple chapters and you come to the very end of, of the Old Testament, the last words of the Old Testament. Chapter 4, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. The day is coming. In verse 5, the last words in the Hebrew Old Testament. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with the curse. The children of Israel... 400 years in slavery and persecution in Egypt, waiting for God to do something. And the Old Testament comes to a close. And because of their sin and rebellion, 
They are a persecuted and basically enslaved people, if you will, again. They are subjects. Their land has been ruined, has been partially reclaimed around Judea and Jerusalem, but not at all what it was supposed to be. And God says, it's okay. 400, another time I am coming. So I want to put, I want you to think about this for a minute. Uh, put, put my other slide up there for me, Brandon. 400 years of slavery in Egypt with no deliverance, only longing. 400 years of silence. Because when we close Malachi and we open Matthew, there are 400 years that transpire from that prophecy of the, of the coming day. But it didn't happen for 400 years. To put that in perspective, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. 1621, so it's been about 394 years since the pilgrims landed and we had our celebration the first Thanksgiving. Now think about that. Thanks, Brandon. 400 years. We've had roughly 400 years since the time. That's how long it's been. That's a long time. That's a long time. And Israel had to wait for 400 years twice for God to do what he promised he would do. And they waited. And Malachi tells them, God will send the prophet Elijah. And God is going to do something. And that day is going to come, but they must wait. We will sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. When the Christmas story begins in the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke give us the historical part of the Christmas story, the nativity, the first advent. And you certainly get the impression that they are waiting and longing. Look, look for a moment at Luke chapter 1. We go to the New Testament, 400 years after Malachi. And in Luke chapter 1, there are all these characters in this story that are, that are so familiar to us. But in Luke chapter 1... And in verse 12, we have Zechariah, who also is of the house of Aaron. It's John the Baptist's father. He's an old man. His wife is an old, old lady. They are well beyond the years of having children. And, and he came to do his turn in the temple. And in verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and it was gripped with fear. Well, of course he was. It was an angel. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you our son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of your, his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he goes on to explain to him, finally, in verse 17 at the end, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah would have known well the prophecy from Malachi. Behold, I am sending my prophet Elijah. He is coming again to prepare the way. Even today, a seat is left at the Passover celebration in a Jewish family that the prophet Elijah would come to your family and announce the Messiah. And when, you know, I thought about this. When, when, when the angel says, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. What was he praying for? I want to suggest to you, he probably wasn't praying for a baby. 
He's well past that. that I don't think that's what he's praying for because, because the prophet has to go on. Zechariah says in verse 18, he says, well, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Is the, the, Zechariah says to the, to the angel, well, Wait a minute. <laughs> what are you talking about? See, I think Zach, I don't think Zechariah was praying for a baby. I think Zechariah was praying like, like any good faithful Jew in his position would be praying as he goes into the temple that, Lord, how long? How long? When is this day coming? You have promised us. We are now subjects of the Romans. We are back in our land, but we are a subjected people. We have no power. How long? And I think he prayed out and begged God, God, how long? And the Lord answers and says, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. It is time. It is time. And your family is a very important part of this story. Your prayers have been answered. They were longing. They were waiting. And as you go to the rest, one of my favorite parts of the the Christmas story, you you go to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we have the story of Jesus being brought to the temple to be dedicated. And we have these two old people there. And, and one of them, Simeon, as he takes the baby Jesus and grabs him away from Mary and puts him in his arm and he praises God in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Lord, I can die in peace. I have been waiting. I have been praying. Here he is. I'm holding the baby. I'm holding the Messiah. God, you can take me home because I, I, I have now realized what I have been living and praying for. And then Anna comes up and she does the same thing and she pray, and she looks at the, at the baby And she sees it and says that this lady had never left, in verse 37, never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, verse 38, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were longing, all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. After 400 years, it was finally realized that the promised Messiah had come. That is why when we sing the songs of Christmas, we have all these songs about expectation, about longing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Our choir began our service today with come, come. How long? How long do we wait? How long do we wait? Christmas longing. It brings us to today. And here we are over 2,000 years later. Do we long for the coming of Christ? You know, the salvation story. The Apostle Paul went to the Mars Hill in Athens and said, God has done these things. He spoke to the philosophers, the pagans there, and he said, God has done these things. That, that we would reach out and search for him and perhaps find him. He looked over the sins of the previous generations, but he is asking you to come. And, and this is the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And before we, we leave here today, I just want you to know, in, in case you're here today, 
and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you have not had your sins forgiven, you do not have the hope of heaven and eternity, if you think it's because you're going to be get, get to heaven, if you ask anybody that doesn't know Christ as Savior, you will almost always get the answer. Say, do you, if, do, you, do you believe you'll get into heaven? Just about everybody believes in heaven. Read the statistics. Do you believe you'll be in heaven? I hope so. On what basis? Because I haven't done this, I haven't done this, and I have done this. And I hope the scales weigh out. And the Bible makes it very clear. We are all sinners. And sin is sin. And because of that, we are separated from God. We are spiritually dead. But God has offered us forgiveness for sins and eternal life because that, that story of Christmas, as we know, had its end on the first advent on the cross of Calvary. And then the open tomb where Jesus died and paid for my sins and rose from the dead and offered me eternal life. And I wasn't the smartest kid in the world. Um, I wasn't the, any better than anybody else. But in third grade, Somehow it clicked with me because the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and I received Christ as Savior. These children that left went out to their rooms for uh, children's church this morning. I know most of those kids and most all, they've received Christ as Savior, even as children. In fact, most people come before the age of 18. And I ask you, what is your longing? What do you long for the most? What deepest in your heart do you long for this Christmas? If you don't know Christ as Savior, you are longing for forgiveness for sins and the and, and assurance of eternal life, to know God as Heavenly Father, to understand how much He loves you. Friends, if that is your longing right now, if the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts, you can receive Christ as Savior right where you sit right now. You don't have to do anything for me or for this church or any church. It's between you and God. And I've been amazed over the years to talk to people and I find out sometimes years later, I received Christ sitting right there, right there, right there. Because I understood that and I, and I said yes to God. And you can do that right now, friends. Say yes to God and receive what you long for the most. And believers that know Christ as Savior, what do you long for? What do you long for? You know what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3? This is the apostle. This is the apostle who received revelation from God. And yet he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. What are you longing for today? As we come toward our Advent season, our first Sunday to, to celebrate Christmas, church is decorated, new choir robes, our first Advent candle, it's a good day to be here. And we come together to celebrate. And I ask you, what are you longing for? God is, wants us to long for intimacy with Him, to, with the Apostle Paul, to know Him better, to know Him better. This is the same Apostle who in Philippians, Philippians 1, as he writes to these people, and he writes from one of his prison epistles, and he writes to them, and he, and he explains, and, he, and he, speaks from his, he speaks from his heart, and he speaks from the depths of his heart, where the Apostle Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, that means here on earth, this will mean fruitful labor. Yet what I choose, I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire 
to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but is more necessary for you. I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Here's the Apostle Paul. And here's a man who got a, we believe, I believe, got a glimpse of heaven when he was caught up in the third heaven. And, and you can understand why his heart, and all the suffering he went through and the abuse he took, you can understand why he says, you know what? My desire is to leave this life. Why? To be with Christ. Not just to leave this life, but to be with Christ. But I also desire to be with you. You know, that's, you know, young people is one of, the, one of the wonderful things about being part of a congregation where we've got all ages here. You will have the experiences as I do. When we come and celebrate like we did this last week, our brother Jerry Snow's life. And we understand this. We get to understand this more. That there, there comes a point where it's okay. We want to be with the Lord. It's okay. It's not fright. It's not scary. The only reason we want to stay here is because of our family and friends. And we want that as long as possible. It's a win-win situation. It's because of the longing of Christmas. The longing. What do you long for? What is your longing today? And, and as the last scripture I want to read this morning, as was already commented on, the book of Revelation. Some of you are in Bible study fellowship this year, and you're in the middle of studying Revelation. And the book of Revelation, let me just read this to you. As the song Gary is saying, we know how the story ends. Here's the Apostle John, the oldest of the apostles. We think he was in his 90s church tradition. It's pretty good tradition. He was the last of the apostles. He has his vision on the island of Patmos. And he sees all this history unfold before his eyes in this vision. And he sees what's going to happen. And he sees the tribulation. He sees the destruction of Satan. He comes to the end of the story. And it says, Behold, chapter 22, verse 7, Jesus, Behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Chapter 12, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give it to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And John closes this book of Revelation after seeing this history and everything unfold before his eyes and realizing what is going to happen. And he says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I am coming soon. Come. And friends, the good news, the good news is, we call this the first advent. We call it that because we believe the Bible teaches clearly there is going to be a second advent. And that second advent is not going to be a baby in a humble manger. The second advent, the whole world is going to see. 
And he's going to come back in power and glory and destroy wickedness and sin and evil and set up his beautiful kingdom. And the Bible tells us that even creation itself is groaning and waiting for that day. Friends, the Bible clearly tells us and we are convinced there is realized expectation Christmas longing. Yesterday we came and decorated the church, our class. I didn't do very much, but other people did. I had a couple small jobs, like eating coffee or eating donuts and having coffee. Anyway, they decorated the church. We decorated the church. And as we were decorating the church and I was standing here doing something really important, like looking for some tape or something, and... Somebody came down right over here and said, hey, look what we found. There was, it was a box, and it was a box for a Christmas tree. But that box didn't have a Christmas tree in it. That box had a bunch of Christmas lights in it. And you know what they pulled out of that box? A Bible. Yes. <laughs> Somebody said no. Pulled out a Bible. I said, who, whose Bible is it? What is it? I said, that's my Bible. That's <laughs> my Bible. There it is. There it is. It had been in that box. I guess my question is, whoever decorated it since 2012, why didn't you find this Bible in that box? What were you thinking? <laughs> didn't it seem a little unusual in the box of Christmas tree lights that there was a Cambridge Bible? I opened it up and right, you know what was in there was the last time I used it was the program for Pat Wigtail service, November 2012. And I was reunited with my favorite Bible yesterday. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So you know what? There is realized expectation. If you really believe Jesus is coming again, if, if you, do you really, really really, really believe that we are going to be with Him for all eternity and that He is coming again. There is going to be that day. There is going to be a second advent and God is going to destroy wickedness and sin and God will win if you really believe that, before our worship team comes up and sings, let me hear you say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I think maybe it's a good day that I should maybe put my name in this Bible. <laughs> so next time I misplace it and you see a Cambridge Bible sitting around and it says, Pastor Jim Shamaria, you know where to find it. <laughs> the elder. Yes. Oh, man, I got it. I'll work it out later. <laughs> This will be a good day as we leave this service for your name to be written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Bible tells us in Revelation the books are going to be open. All people from all dispensations, all ages, whose names are written in the Book of Life will be invited to be with Christ and God forever. If not, there is hell. There is eternity apart from God. The Bible speaks clearly of that too. No matter how much people, it's what the Bible says. I invite you today, why not have your name written down in the book of life?
through simple faith in Christ. If I could be of any help to you, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Gary, we'll step aside, talk with you, pray with you. We would love to do that this Christmas season. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful, wonderful grace and mercy, your love and compassion. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that none of us deserve and none of us could earn. But because you've chosen to love us and to call us to yourself, we are your people today. And I do pray as we leave this place, Father, this first Sunday uh, we celebrate Christmas once again this year. If there be one person here who does not know Christ as Savior, what a good day. What a good day to have their name written in the book of life, to receive through simple faith your forgiveness for sins and the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross of Calvary for their sin. We leave this place rejoicing in the hope of eternity. In Christ's name, all God's people can say together,